Seahawks fans, wherever you may be. Welcome back for another edition of the Seahawks Playbook Podcast. Join your host, Bill Alpstead, and co-host, sports writer and football analyst, Keith Myers, as we talk Seahawks football. Seahawks fans, welcome back to another edition of the Seahawks Playbook Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Alpstead, young Keith Myers. Got a good show today. Uh, it's uh, Senior Bowl week, Keith. We're going to talk about the Senior Bowl in just a little bit. I think first we wanted to talk about the uh, Brian Flores coaching situation that's kind of making the rounds in the NFL uh, the last week or so as information has come out. He's filed suit, um, and we want to get into that a little bit, as well as the idea that he may have been paid to lose games to get a better mm-hmm. draft pick, uh, which is a whole other separate kind of issue, but nonetheless is um, something that that may be systemic in the NFL based on uh, Hugh Jackson also coming out and saying in Cleveland he had the same sort of issue. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if there's others, uh, oh, obviously, sure and, and maybe uh, maybe not so many that are willing to talk. We'll, we'll find out. But... Um, Welcome in, Keith. Let's let's kind of get this thing going. Yeah. So there's two parts to the to the Brian Flores suit, and I think um, the tanking one is one that you and I'll get into here in a minute. Um, I think the race one is pretty dang obvious to anyone who's actually paying attention. Um, you have a league that is 73% African American. Uh, there's a lot of players who want to get into coaching. They want to do that, and they just can't get off. They can't get opportunities. Um, or if and, the opportunities are uh, coming along, there's this thing called the Rooney Rule, which basically says teams need to conduct, you know, at least one or, or multiple interviews for a head coaching position with minority mm-hmm. candidates, and and I think they included also some some higher end position coaches as well in that. Yep, that, and, that's and, a, that's a recent change. And so what you're saying is, even with that rule in place, these things are kind of turned out to be kind of shamish in, in well, the way they, that they're conducted and they have been and i and i know that people people are looking hey you know the, the rule is there you gotta you gotta interview this you know candidate and whatever and if you've already know who you want you have to go through the motions but the key is why are you making a decision before you've done your interviews um well and, it's but, because of relationships yeah. i mean there's and i'll i'll play the devil's advocate for a second and maybe i'll get in trouble for it whatever i'm just playing devil's advocate i'm just saying this these might be some of the reasons why teams make decisions that they make um you know the coaching world in the nfl is a small world it's fairly circular and recycled we all kind of know that um certain uh situations are because you're familiar with a person or you like the scheme or whatever it is, or they've done a great job in college. You want to bring them up. Um, you've kind of made that decision all along the year. And then you get into uh, your team is now looking for a head coach. You kind of already identified the guy that you're, you're really interested in. Those sorts of things happen not only in the NFL, but the NBA, they happen in corporate America as well, just all over the place. People make decisions based on relationships, past, present, future, and, you know, good fits, all that kind of stuff. So there is a level of that that is legitimate that's out there that kind of layers over everything. But what you're saying is 
this problem transcends that. And oh, it, it way goes way that. much, way deeper. And it's, it, and it's, it's a larger issue even than the NFL. It's more of a systemic societal kind of issue as well that, that touches upon this, this entire thing, which is, and I want to point this out too, which is difficult. And I look at it for me, it's difficult for me to even talk about because I don't have any credibility on this issue. I'm obviously yeah, a white a couple, guy. A couple I mean, of white guys talking about it. It's right. It, it, but I think one of the things that we have to look at with this is you have a league, which is 73% black. Um, as far as the players, there's a bunch of players um, that black and white that like to want something at post um, post playing days. They want to get into coaching and all of that. And very few of the black coaches get opportunities. And I'm not just talking about the head coaching jobs. I'm talking about all through. So you have um, position coaches that are pre still predominantly white, even though the players that yeah. just came well, out just I, retired uh, and they are um, predominantly black, but only the white coaches are getting the jobs. Why? So let me let me kind of break that down just for everyone that's not really paying too much attention. There's one head coach in the NFL right now that's African American. One. Four offensive coordinators. Uh, this is out of 32 teams, four off offensive coordinators, 11 defensive coordinators, eight special teams coordinators, three quarterback coaches, and six general managers. No ownership. Yeah. That's where we sit. Now, some of those numbers might look okay. For example, the defensive coordinators at 11, general managers at six, and the eight six special the teams six coordinators. General managers is that's a, that's a, it used to be one, right? Uh, Baltimore was like the only one forever. And the fact that we have six now, I think, is it's showing that we're getting, uh, we're making progress. In but, certain areas. But we still have yet, yet another head coaching cycle in where you had really good black coaches up for jobs and they didn't get it. Or, and, or haven't gotten anything yet. So there's still a couple openings, but, you know, it is what it is. And and you end up with... Um, retread white guys that failed miserably in the past um that's being the big that's that's after. really a, a big issue that it is a big issue and i look at uh and we can look at, at at specifics we can talk in generalities i, I think um, because people should not only should people win on the merits of their resume um but race shouldn't be a factor so mm -hmm. the fact that you know that what you just said is is true is is an issue and so this is a seahawks podcast i, I want to point out the seahawks are not blameless in this they did this when they hired pete carroll they had already met with pete carroll already negotiated a contract it had leaked out that he was going to seattle um and they were they denied it no no we haven't made up our opinion made up our mind they flew um some of the higher ups in Vulcan um, out to interview Leslie Fla Frazier um, in a hotel. They didn't even bring him into the facility. They flew people out there, gave him a, a fairly quick interview, left and came home and announced the Pete Carroll sign signing. Um, they, it was, if you want to talk about a sham interview, that, that was an entirely sham interview. Um, and they did it and because they were trying to, you know, make sure they satisfied the Rooney rule. Um, okay, so why did that count? Why, why, why were they allowed to make their decision before 
they'd actually interviewed a minority candidate because it's it's a toothless rule that ha- isn't enforced. I think in- the largest fine at the on the Rooney Rule that a team has ever had has been two hundred thousand dollars. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's. I think it was well intentioned, with the idea that even if they're not getting the jobs that the interview process to get a head coaching gig is it's usually a six to eight hour interview. It's a long process. Could be a multi-day. Um, multi-day. Yeah. Sometimes it's a multi-day, but six to eight hours is, is very typical. Um, and the first time you go through it, it kind of sucks because it's just a huge, long in exhausting process. And so giving these minority coaches an opportunity to experience this will mean that the next time that they w- would go into interview, they're going to, they're going to know what they're doing. They're going to know. And that, and that, seems, in that. and that seems completely normal to me. Yeah. That, that part. Yeah. And so, and so that's, that, that was the basis of the Rooney rule. So they'd be able to come forward and having had m- multiple of these interviews, um, be able to present themselves really well and it should lead to more hires. It hasn't. In fact, it's led to less hires. That's we have, that's that's there the are big fewer issue. Black, really. Fewer black head coaches now, and I'm not just right in the second, but even over the last five years than there was uh, before that. Uh, and when there look, have been African Americans hired, they've been given a shorter leash. Much shorter. And they're often, what we're finding, being brought in with the expectation that this, this and this is one of the um, one of the findings of um, or one of the the allegations the of, of this yeah. is that when they are they are brought in they're brought in told they need to lose and then are fired because they lost. So that's kind so of a little separate issue, but it's tied into the same lawsuit because it is part into, of the complaint where he still then had to perform after experiencing that kind of hostile environment that that was created because of that then he refused then was still employed and it you know that's that was yeah. part of the, the the issue and ultimately yeah, so, what he believes he was fired for yeah he believes he was fired because the team did significantly better had a winning record wanted and had a winning record two years in a row and almost like made the playoffs once and almost made it again with a and, with a seriously flawed roster yeah and was fired because he was being paid to lose. Um, and if he'd done what he had been asked, he would have lost a lot of lost more games, and then been fired for losing games. Yes, it was no win situation. So you yeah. And yeah. Hugh Jackson came out and and basically said that's what happened to him in Cincinnati was that he was told you or have Cleveland, to lose one of the two. I'm thinking maybe I'm thinking Cleveland, but because uh, Cincinnati was where he was an offensive coordinator, but in Cleveland he was told you need to lose games, you need to get us the first overall pick, you need to go lose these games, and so he did, and then he got fired for being a terrible losing coach. game, yeah, and they hired someone else to okay. actually draft the quarterback. Okay, so my question to you, and I don't want to take this too much longer because I think we could we can continue to talk about this for a long time and really never come up with any ideas or solutions or anything. Where do you want to leave it? Like how? Is there anything that we can do going forward as a league that would try to mitigate these issues, put some teeth in some rules, anything at all that would kind of help equalize the at least the uh, ability to um, gain rightful employment for on the merits of your abilities? 
I think the first thing that they can do is they can look at the second half of that complaint and make uh, make some owners sell and get you know get some of these old um, white guys that refuse to keep black head coaches um, and get get rid of them. And you can use the justification of paying someone to tank. And now, a word from our sponsor, DraftKings. The moment we've been waiting for since September is finally here. In honor of the big game, DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of Super Bowl 56, is giving new customers 56 to 1 odds on either team. Bet just $5 and get 280 in free bets if your team wins. DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in New York, meaning you can bet from almost one-third of the country. If Sportsbook isn't in your state yet, play DraftKings Daily Fantasy Football Contest for Super Bowl 56. New customers can get a free shot at a million-dollar top prize with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app. Use promo code TPPN and get 56 to 1 odds on either team. Bet just $5 and get 280 in free bets if your team wins. That's promo code TPPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of Super Bowl 56. 21 and over minimum age and location requirements may vary by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for a full list of requirements and state-specific responsible gaming resources. Void were prohibited. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. It's one thing to trade away a bunch of veteran players, know you're going to take a step back for a year or two um, in order to clear out some cap space and all of that and reload. It's another thing to, t- to offer to pay your coach $100,000 per loss to, to intentionally lose. Um, it's The general belief is that, yeah, a team might want to tank, um, but the players on the roster and the coaches, like they're trying to win. They may have a lot less talent, and they know that, that guys were traded away for draft picks and all of that, but they're still doing their best in trying to win because their careers are at stake. Um, and for an owner to come through and say, "Here's a hundred grand per loss," um, I can't, that I, that's uh, shocking to me. I mean, I I get it. I they, but it man, can, to hear that out loud and have it be something that's in the league, it pisses yeah, me off. Those are those are owners that need to be that need to be forced to sell. And if you when you're forced to sell, look at because with forcing to sell, it's not just the high, highest bidder. And we we saw that when um in seattle when you had uh steve balmer and uh chris hansen trying to buy the kings and and move them to seattle and all of that um there's a process to it where okay they offered us this much can you match it and if you can okay cool we'll go with you instead of them um i would say go find some minority owners and do whatever you got to do as far as the bidding price to make sure that the owners that are selling are getting um, fair value, but do your best to make sure that you get some minority owners. And when you do that, I believe things will start to change. So one of the things that I think will prompt some change and probably maybe, probably maybe one of the only things that actually really will bring about change is to have the players do something about it. And I, I don't know that I'm necessarily advocating for this. I'm just saying that 
sometimes you need action in order to initiate change. And I think if the players were to walk out or make some serious statements about this out loud and come together um, on this issue, that you would have a larger uh, inertia and momentum to actually initiate some of these things. Because having us say something, having Twitter blow up, um, is really nothing. It's a drop in the bucket to the owners. They don't feel any of that. They don't pay yeah. attention. It doesn't matter to them. But if the product on the field suffers, then that's going to get their attention. But so, what, hap- what happens when they do that? Well, then you're going to blackball players. You know, so, just like Colin Kaepernick. That's exactly who I was thinking of. Like, so you then you end up with Colin Kaepernick, who got blackballed right out of the league because right. he spoke up. Because he talked about this yeah, it's 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 an untenable situation, you know it really is. But um, if you want real change, just like Brian Flores, you know he's probably putting his coaching career on the line. Probably never coached another day in his life in the NFL at that level, and yeah. um, he probably he, he won't. felt like he needed to make this happen in regardless, and, and uh, that's going to take that... some of that courage in order to, to make progress. It just I think I think he reached a point where he was like, you know what, if I'm not going to get a job, if I can have my team overperform for multiple years and it's not worth my integrity, still can't get a job, um, I could get fired for doing too, too well and then, you know, can't get a job um, for an from another team that it's not worth it. So screw it. I'm going to come out. I'm going to try and do something. I'm going to try and create change as best I can. And then I'm going to go coach at the college level because yeah. at this point, he has a lot of um, value as a coach. He's a great coach. He may piss off every NFL yeah. um, executive with this lawsuit. And somebody, somebody may also value those sorts of values, integrity, Standing mm-hmm. up for what you believe in, all that kind of stuff at the college level, not so if much you were, at the NFL level. If you were one of those historically black colleges and universities, like a Grambling State, that kind of thing. Brown, et cetera. Yeah. yeah. W- wouldn't you hire him in an instant? In oh, an I wouldn't instant. push anybody else out <laughs> at this no, point saying, if, if you haven't made a you, decision. But yes, if you ha- of course. If you, have, if, you have a, if you have a job available... And he's out there and he like through his agent, whatever you find out he's interested. Wouldn't you jump at the chance to hire a guy like that? I, I absolutely. And you know, he would do a fantastic job. Um, so, that's, and so, so anyways, I don't, it's not complete career suicide if he's willing to go that route. Sure. So, uh, so I think the big issue, the issue that needs to be handled immediately is this pay to pay to not play situation. Um, mm-hmm. because I think that requires immediate attention. I mean, the whole thing does, but um, we need to get to the bottom of that. There needs to be some sort of uh, investigation there. If there's other teams involved, all that kind of stuff, there needs to be penalties, draft picks lost, you know, financial hits, you know, all that kind of stuff. You mentioned the forced sale of a team. Those sorts of things should be in play, and we mm-hmm. need to talk about it. It's a difficult conversation, but it is. You know, we we approached it today as a difficult conversation and had it, and we, you know, we left a lot on the table, and maybe we can revisit this as as the story progresses throughout the year, and we can talk about it further. Um, I did mm-hmm. want to get to the the Senior Bowl stuff today because the Senior Bowl does take place on Saturday, mm-hmm. and it is the off season for the Seahawks, and that means that we are in the hunt to fill some 
um, some roster holes that we have. And currently they're substantial roster holes because we have not gone through the free agency process yet. Um, but I thought what I would do is I, I was able to watch uh, senior ball practice today, both sides, American league and, um, or the American team and the national team. And, um, just kind of came away with some notes and so forth and identified a couple players I thought would be interesting fits for the Seahawks. And I just kind of wanted to run those by you. Some of these we've already talked about in our pre draft prospect shows that we've done. And, um, uh, for for another for another show, <laughs> and um, we'll be doing the same thing for the for the Seahawks at some point, along with the you know all the team needs and going through that process. Oh, yeah. uh, Haskell Garrett, uh, I just want to mention, injured his shoulder today in practice. Um, got oh, that's too bad. Driven into the ground by uh, Stuber, and um, hurt his shoulder, but it's a p- small sprain, and apparently he's going to give it a go on Saturday. So we'll see. Uh, Trevor Penning, and I thought I'd just mention some players that I really like. Uh, Trevor Penning, the offensive tackle, looked really good in practice. Like, he just looks like a legit guy. He's my favorite left tackle in this draft, even over Neil, uh, just because I just liked his temperament. And he had a very nice rep versus Logan Hall, where he just took Logan Hall to the ground, and it was it was ugly for Hall. But um, Troy Anderson's like an off the ball Mike linebacker in the mid rounds that I thought looked really good. Great length and agility. He's kind of a fifth, sixth round guy. Um, 6'4, 235. Uh, reportedly by uh, uh, McShay on the broadcast that he might run a sub 4'5, which would put him in a conversation for a, a, a nice rotational piece that you could have mid round present some good value. Kenny Pickett looked good. Uh, what's the what's the other quarterback's name not sam hell but um willis mm-hmm. willis looked great as well he had some great reps his his he, spiral is really tight and nice especially on the move and that's why he is um despite playing at liberty is uh considered a top prospect because um the guy's got arm talent he's got a big arm tight spiral um accuracy and and that's why he's there um sam howell has been kind of the guy uh, that's really impressed, which yeah. you know, he's the quarterback out of North Carolina. And interestingly, it's Kenny Pickett, who's been considered the top quarterback in this draft class that may end up sliding um, quite a bit. And it would have mattered. It's not the, not the, what he's done at the senior bowl, other than the measurements. Yeah. Um, apparently he's got tiny hands. Yeah. Eight, eight and a three quarters or eight and a quarter half or something mm-hmm. like that, which is a, literally an inch and a half smaller than Russell Wilson. Now, yeah. you're dealing with an NFL football versus a college ball. It's about an inch and a half larger in circumference. So it's it's a pretty big leap for a guy like that. He's looked good. They're throwing NFL balls there at the um, at the senior bowl practices and in the senior bowl. So we'll we'll kind of see that Sam Howell seems to be moving up just because he's got the best arm strength and ball placement of any of the quarterbacks there at the mm-hmm. senior bowl. But his footwork is atrocious. His footwork. <laughs> Yeah, they talked oh. about they talked about it on the on the on the broadcast, and then showed some some of his footwork in particular, and they analyze, analyzed it at the time, and it was it was like, oh man, that that needs some work. But uh, there's no arguing with his arm strength and his ability to put the ball where it needs to go. So that's whether he's ready to start day one in the NFL. That remains to be seen. That's why he's kind of the the back half of the first round, kind of a prospect. You could move up a little bit. You know, there are 
uh, quarterback needy teams, depending on how free agency falls out, depending on how the trade market goes for quarterbacks this off season, we could see, you know, quarterbacks falling a little bit in the draft, or if a lot of teams end up staying where they're at with quarterbacks and they kind of solve things before the draft, you could see some of these guys falling a little bit. So we'll see. Um, I wanted to mention Jalen uh, Petrie, the safety. Um, he's making money in, in mobile. He's, he's like a hybrid um, safety out there. Now, the reason I mentioned him is because we've talked about the Seahawks potentially needing another free safety depending on scheme possibly a hybrid, a guy that could play both both up front and, and drop back into coverage um, because we know that Jamal Adams isn't great in coverage, so we would need another free safety on this roster if we run a cover two scheme. And that's the kind of coaches that they've been looking at so far. As far as defensive coordinators, they haven't hired one yet. We don't know any more than we knew two weeks ago, to be completely honest. So, uh, But if they go in that direction, I think that in the draft, they may take a guy. And somebody like Jalen uh, Petrie in the second round or third round, if he drops, would be an ideal fit for them. Um, purportedly runs a, a 4-4-3-40 at six foot, 200 pounds. Um, and he pretty much can do it all. Uh, Jermaine Johnson, we're not going to be able to touch. He's like the best player at the Senior Bowl. Um, <laughs> he just yep. is. Strength, tenacity, pass, rush, moves, all that kind of stuff. He's, he's the guy. Um, Eric Johnson is kind of a poor man's version. Uh, defensive tackle, 6'4", 310 pounds out of Missouri State. He's got an 83-inch wingspan with 34.7-inch wow. arms. And he's been very disruptive um, against some of the offensive linemen there, which I don't know if it speaks very well of offensive linemen at the senior bowl. <laughs> so um, let me let me pause you for just a sec, um, because one of the things I want to point out for our listeners uh, is that Seattle scouts the senior bowl really hard. Because you yeah, have, they had you, four guys on the sidelines with Seahawk. Yeah, you've got, um, you've Hold got on. guys like uh, that defensive tackle you just mentioned from was it Missouri State mm -hmm. that you don't have. There's not a lot of film on them out there, um, but they get to come out after playing at Missouri State and play against the big boys, right? Play against guys from big Power Five schools, and you get a chance to see does what they did in college against really low competition translate can they do it against the you know the other ones yeah the seahawks, so the seahawks scout the senior bowl really hard yep they do they and they, they really trust nagy they really trust yep. nagy and there's an interview process available mm -hmm. to them at the senior bowl um so you have i mean there were hundreds of scouts at this at practice like yeah. just completely lined the field it was it was crazy um, tight end Isaiah Likely. Um, I mentioned him because McShay said that he has him now rising to the number two tight end prospect in the draft um, wow. overall because of the work so far at the Senior Bowl. Um, 6'4", 240 pounds. He's kind of a Gerald Everett and Dawson Knox comp. I don't know if you're familiar with Dawson Knox, but he's the, uh, he was the tight end for the Buffalo Bills. Uh, 6'4", 242. It's interesting that, um, you know, McShay would, would say that because what you've got so far with these um, these workouts and these practices, that's a lot of like pass catching type of thing and not yeah. a lot of like run blocking, um, which is one of the things. And I wonder if it's like, oh, yep, this because it's flashy and, and you can see it on 
um, at, in practice and whatnot. That's like, oh, he's going to rise. But are do they can they can they actually do all the things that you want out of a tight end? Is is senior bowl practice where you want to make that call on, you know, uh, how high you rank a tight end when you're only looking at half of their job? Yeah. So. Right. Right. Um, Sam Williams, another guy. That's a Leo defensive end guy. Speed to power look, has looked great so far. Um, McCreary, the corner, um, who is highly rated, I think the fourth or fifth best corner in the draft on mm-hmm. most boards, came in and measured arm length at 29 and 5 eighths, which is going to tank him. He's um, going to slide yeah. way down. So more. right now he's at the back end of the first round. I think he's probably a middle to end of the second round guy now. He's a, he's going to be a slot guy in the NFL. He still has the ability to play on the outside just because of the tape and the work that he's done in the NFL or in, in college football, playing guys uh, close. He's a physical guy. Sometimes you can overcome the short arm length, but he's going to get ruled out by a lot of teams. Mm-hmm. Uh, early in the draft and might be a second or third option. And so I would, he's going to be one of the guys that falls. Uh, I will more mention, than, more, I would say more than, uh, if you look back two years ago, he would have been taken off Seattle's board completely. Right. Like they wouldn't have drafted him if he fell into the fifth. Um, because for them, if you didn't have that length, um, you weren't useful. And they kind of went away from that. First, it was Justin Coleman. Then it yeah. was DJ Reed. Then it was I wonder Jimmy if it's Brown. a permanent thing or just players available to them. You know, just they're working around well, guys Pete, that they currently have. Pete Carroll said that, um, you know, DJ Reed was like eye-opening. His ability to play on the outside, despite not yeah. having all of those prototype things. Yeah. That they It really opened their eyes to maybe looking at other players they never would have considered before. And I don't know what McCurry's wingspan is. So you can make up some of that stuff just by being, being broad-shouldered and all that kind of stuff and having a wingspan that's closer to 77 inches or 78 for a guy like McCreary mm-hmm. um, that would make up for some of that, that length deficit. Um, we'll just have to see. Speaking of Seattle-type corners, it, it gets old school with the guy I'm going to mention, uh, Tariq Woolen. <laughs> <laughs> cornerback at a UTSA never heard of him but he's kind of like a, a third round kind of prospect prior to the senior bowl and I think he's going to be on the rise uh six three and a half 204 pounds 33 and a quarter inch arms runs a four three four forty was comp today by McShay to Antonio Cromartie and wow. um as a as a press man corner Mm-hmm. Uh, McShay's got him currently as the 11th ranked cornerback uh, so far, but thought that he would rise, um, you know, after evaluations were done this week and is currently the 68th overall prospect as well. Um, so he could be an option. So if, and the reason I mentioned him is because, you know, we've talked about Seattle needing a number one guy, a number one shutdown guy. Um, and, and somebody like this that fits this prototype would be available to the Seahawks with their first pick, you know, at 41 possibly at 77 um i think is where they picked in the third round and um if if they go out of free agency not solving that problem they may look to to the draft to do that and they would draft somebody i think high if if they they thought um really highly of this guy and he's he's showing out at at the at the senior bowl interesting yeah 
Um, Brian Asamoah, linebacker, six foot, 222 pounds. He's kind of on the short side for the Seahawks. Um, I thought I'd mention him because he has an 80 inch wingspan. So again, you can overcome some of that, um, that length mm-hmm. stuff with the overall wingspan, super athletic, scheme diverse, good will prospect, Seattle type player. I'll, I'll list a few other Seattle type players. Um, Devonte Wyatt. I think is is a guy that could possibly slide into where Seattle picks in the second round. Um, but he's having a great senior bowl, and we'll just have to see. 6'3", 315, he'd be a three-tech kind of a guy, a guy that would disrupt the pocket, push guys around, get to the quarterback, all that kind of stuff. We need, I think, a guy like that. Um, Brian Robert uh, Robinson, the running back from Alabama, looks great. Um, another guy, uh, running back, uh, Damian Pierce out of Florida, five, nine, 220 runs a four, four, nine, 40 and a 37 inch vertical is a guy to watch for. Cause he just runs really powerful and, um, fits kind of what Seattle likes to do. Greg, uh, Dulich, Dulicich, um, looks great. Tight end. Um, look him up. He's, he does the blocking, the, the pass catching. He's got good length. He's having a stellar, uh, senior ball by all reports um and d'angelo malone defensive edge guy and defensive end runs a four five forty could could touch into the four four nine range western kentucky so it's a guy that you just don't have on your radar but you know it's kind of a fourth fifth mm-hmm. round guy prior to this process at the senior bowl could be rising at six four two hundred and thirty four to fifty pounds depending on whose notes you uh you believe um and that's and that's kind of it um just some guys that i found noteworthy uh, just watching tape today and um it's kind of a fun process i'm I'm looking forward to going through the entire draft process because this is just a handful of guys and um it's it's going to be interesting yeah i mean the the senior rule is always it's always great especially if you have um the opportunity to because they they broadcast the um uh the practices now and so being able to go through and watch that stuff is, is is fantastic and most of the scouting is done at these practices when it actually when you actually get to the game on saturday uh, you'll notice that most of the team executives have left um they're all back in you know their home cities because the game itself doesn't really matter that much it's it's what generates ad revenue which allows them to put on the senior bowl every year um but it isn't a useful indicator of anything. It's those practices that really matter. Yeah, so, the practices confirm the priors, mm-hmm. and the interviews are the first time they get a chance to talk yeah. to these players, and then they get to talk to them again at the combine. So that that process right there is really key. And then they get to invite what thirty prospects or so uh, into the facility um, to have individual interviews and so forth. So. It's it, it's that stuff that we just don't have access to, Keith, and we've talked about this for years, is this is mm-hmm. the piece that sometimes, well, more than just sometimes, tips the scales to one prospect over another. And um, so that's why this is really important. So that's all I had, Keith. Yeah, I mean, no, that, that's, a, that's a fantastic um, list. I'm glad you're able to um, go through and watch these practices because I just have not been able to, to do so this year. And... Um, you know, our I'm hopeful our our listeners appreciate uh, <laughs> the the work you do on all of no, this no because problem. it's been um, yeah I mean there's just a lot of uh, of great 
There's a lot of prospects, Keith. <laughs> there just is. I mean, you know, we are. go through this draft process every year. Yeah. And by the time we hit the draft, we're, we've touched upon probably 300 names, you know, 270 well, the, of, of which will get drafted. But there's 100 people, 100 players at the senior ball. I think people 100, lose track. 104 players last year were drafted mm -hmm. out, After, from out the of the senior, senior ball. ball. So yeah. I think people lose track of the fact that there's a lot of players there. So th this isn't just like, well, you know, you're getting you're getting um, scouting, you know, information on 20 players. We're talking about 100 yeah. players. Yeah, Jim Nagy was interviewed today, and he said that 104 players last year went uh, drafted from the Senior Bowl, and he expected mm -hmm. the same amount, possibly three or four additional players uh, overall drafted from the Senior Bowl this year, which would account for roughly 45% of all the players drafted. So yeah, this is a, I mean, this is a good a kind of deal. game. It really yeah. is a big deal. And um, Nagy's done a fantastic job. When he took over um, running the Senior Bowl, it was it looked like it was going downhill and might go away. And he has really done a fantastic job of like getting the best um, talent there. Yeah, getting getting great talent to come. The fact that he got guys like Kenny Pickett. Yeah. Um, who, four, five out of the top six quarterbacks are at this game. Yeah, and so to get guys like that, which gets the coaches there, uh, it also increases the number of eyeballs. It's just a fantastic yeah. thing. Um, he's done such a good job of putting this together, and he's also accessible if you want to, um, you know, text him or, or tweet him and, and get a hold I've, of him on. on now he he has liked a couple of my tweets, but that's as close as I've gotten <laughs> to having <laughs> a conversation with with Jim Nagy. So yep. if anybody out there can put me in touch or Keith in touch, we'd love to have him on the show because he's just a fantastic resource. I'll it's reach out to him intimate. again because he and I have talked yeah. a few times. So yeah, that would be great. We'd love to have him on the show because he's just such a great resource, even if it comes after the, the senior bowl. In fact, he may have more time after the senior bowl. Maybe not. A lot of uh, teams contact him uh, because of, of the process and, and because they trust his evaluation and, um, intimate knowledge about these individual players. And he's a straight shooter. He'll tell you if somebody's, uh, exceeds expectations or, or doesn't. And, um, yeah, a guy like that on the show would be fun. Okay. So let's get out of here, Keith. So we'll see you next time. We did, did one show this week. It was more my schedule than, uh, than Keith's. He was, Keith was totally willing to do the other show that we had planned, but, um, I was, I was getting in the way of that. So next week, we'll do two. Promise. Um, you can find Keith on Twitter at MyersNFL. I'm at NWSeahawk. The show is at Hawks Playbook, SeahawksPlaybook.com. It's all the content. You can find us on your favorite platforms, including YouTube. And uh, make sure you share the episodes and subscribe. That would be awesome. So until next time, go Hawks. Go Hawks. Seahawks Playbook Podcast listeners, thanks for joining us for another edition of the show. You can find us on Twitter. Bill is at NW Seahawk. Keith is at Myers NFL. And the show is at Hawks Playbook. You can listen and subscribe to the show at SeahawksPlaybook.com.